This is episode 36 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. The missing ingredient in the higher Christian life is usually desire. Many believers know the facts and what they should do, but they often falter and give up because they perceive the price is too high or the sacrifice too great or yielding yourself to someone in a dependent fashion is something they just don't want to do. And this is a great shame, especially when all we have to do is look around at our world and what is happening in our culture and to the church and realize that just the chaos surrounding us and the darkness coming should motivate us to grow closer to him. It should be all the desire we need. So to help motivate your desire, we're going to look at a specific area of chaos that's coming our way, of economic disaster and inflation, possibly even hyperinflation, and use this, hopefully, as a motivation to drive our desire for an abundant life in Him, to experience the higher Christian life. So let's jump right in, shall we? We've spoken in the past about desire. In other words, we can have all the knowledge and understanding necessary to be able to experience the higher Christian life and even the faith, but without a desire to pay that price and sacrifice for the intimacy with our Lord, nothing happens. So I want to begin this week by sharing with you something that will hopefully spur on your desire for more of him, or what we call the higher Christian life. Now, I know that not everyone has an accounting or business background, and sometimes when we're dealing with national economic trends, they're often hard to understand. But this article I'm going to share with you is perfect to help each of us understand where we are heading as a nation, especially regarding inflation and the fulfillment that we see in Revelation 6. So carefully consider where we are as a culture. And if you seem troubled by it, maybe even fearful, then use that anxiety to drive your desire for more of him. And remember, the higher Christian life is yours for the asking when you ask in faith. The article is called The Next Financial Crisis, and it's by Britt Gillette. Today marks the 50th anniversary of one of the most significant events in world history. On August 15, 1971, Richard Nixon announced he was, quote, closing the gold window, thus ending the U.S. dollar's convertibility to gold. This ended the post-World War II Bretton Woods monetary system, where the world operated on a gold-backed U.S. dollar with other world currencies pegged to the dollar. It also began the new area of fiat currency and sowed the seed of the next great financial crisis. Fiat currency is not backed by commodities such as gold or silver. Its only value comes from the public's willingness to accept it as a means of payment. Since Nixon's announcements, all major governments of the world have used nothing but fiat currencies. Prior to 1971, this had never occurred in human history. Here's the danger of a fiat currency. Why was Nixon's announcement such a significant event? 
Fiat currencies are dangerous. They eliminate governmental financial discipline and accountability. When nothing backs a currency, the government can print unlimited currency units. The more currency units that exist, the less valuable they all become. If you earn and save in fiat currency, you lose purchasing power over time. The government is essentially stealing from you via inflation. This means government spending is no longer restrained by collected tax revenues or fiscal responsibilities. For example, during World War II, the United States launched a massive war bond campaign to raise the money necessary for funding the war. They did so because the U.S. currency was backed by gold and silver. They couldn't simply print the dollars needed to fund the war. But that's no longer true. Since 1971, the U.S. has funded the world's largest standing military, fought two wars in Iraq, a war in Afghanistan, and countless other conflicts. And in doing so, they never once launched a war bond campaign. They simply printed the dollars they needed. Since 1971, the U.S. government has been on a spending binge. In 1971, the U.S. national debt was only $398 billion. Today, it's $27.8 trillion. That's an almost 70-fold increase in debt in the last 50 years. To fund this massive rise in debt, they've run the printing presses. This means the value of a dollar has decreased significantly in the past 50 years. In 1971, an ounce of gold was $35. Today, an ounce of gold is $1,781. That's a 98% decline in the dollar's purchasing power. And before you attribute the rise in the national debt to the declining purchase power of the dollar, take a look at the debt relative to national income. In 1971, the U.S. debt to GDP was 34%. Today, it's 127%. That's an almost fourfold increase in real terms, and it's a debt level many economists believe is unsustainable. As bad as this is, the United States isn't alone. In a world awash in fiat currency, debt-to-GDP ratios are terrible all over the globe. Japan's debt-to-GDP ratio is 256%. Canada is 116%. The United Kingdom, 107%. The Eurozone alone is home to a number of troubled nations. Greece, 181%, Portugal, 132 Italy, 155 France, 115 Compounding the problem of these nations is they owe their debt in a fiat currency they can't print. The European Central Bank controls the euro, and that puts all of these nations at potential risk of default if they can't make their debt payments. A default by any one of these nations will ripple throughout the European banking system, which holds billions of euros worth of government bonds. If European banks become insolvent, financial contagion will spread throughout the world and plunge the world into a financial crisis far worse than the Great Recession, one with the potential to be worse than the Great Depression itself. The U.S. Federal Reserve the European Central Bank and the central bankers throughout the world are well aware of this potential scenario. It is their worst nightmare. More than anything else, they fear an out-of-control deflationary spiral akin to the Great Depression. That is why central banks engage in unprecedented measures in 2020 to prop up financial markets as the COVID-19 crisis unfolded. 
but now they face a conundrum. If they keep these policies in place, we'll have runaway inflation. But if they reverse their easy money policies, they risk triggering the very financial crisis they so eagerly want to prevent. For example, in the United States, interest on the national debt is $378 billion. This is the fourth largest expense in the annual budget. A good portion of the national debt is financed using treasury notes with a maturity of less than 10 years. If the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the interest on the national debt will grow and eat up a larger and ever-growing portion of the annual budget. The same is true for other countries. In addition, hundreds of U.S. companies are now what they call zombie corporations. They are heavily indebted, poorly managed companies that depend on low interest rates to meet their loan interest payments. If interest rates rise, those companies will go bankrupt. The same is true for many individuals. A large number of consumers carry variable interest debt. If interest rates rise, they'll no longer be able to meet their debt obligations. In short, raising interest rates will plunge the U.S. economy into a depression. And the same is true with all other major world economies. According to Bloomberg, the world debt now stands at $281 trillion. This is the total amount owed by governments, companies, and households. It represents 355% of global output. That's nearly four times what the world produces in a year. This level of debt can never be paid back. Either it will end in default or it will be paid back with devalued currency. The first option will lead to immediate pain and suffering with bankruptcies, defaults, massive unemployment, and widespread social unrest. The second option offers an alluring promise of a way to avoid such pain. Which option do you think politicians and central bankers will choose? When the next economic downturn arrives, it will be in the form of a severe global depression. Unable to service their massive debts, many individuals and companies will default. These defaults will leave the banking system on the verge of bankruptcy and politicians scrambling to put together another series of bailout packages. The government and central bank's response to this crisis will be bigger than their response to the COVID-19 crisis. What will they do? They'll run the printing press. They'll bail out companies on the verge of bankruptcies. They'll buy stocks and corporate bonds. They'll backstop people's mortgages and student loan payments. They'll do everything and anything they can in an effort to avoid the inevitable economic pain. And then they'll institute something that they've wanted for a long time, universal basic income. Every man, woman, and child will receive a monthly check equivalent to an average worker's salary. A desperate population will welcome it, but it won't be enough. When the prices for rent, food, and energy double as a result of all this printed currency, the government's solution will be to double down the amount of the monthly payments to combat the rising prices of the, quote, greedy corporations. But the problems won't be rising prices. The problem will be falling currency. This process will play itself out over and over until all the world's currencies are driven into hyperinflation and the entire system comes crashing down. Listen carefully. Hyperinflation has ravaged individual nations in the past. Weimar Germany, the post-war Austrian-Hungary Empire, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, and others. 
because hyperinflation has never hit all of the world's nations at the same time. Maybe it won't this time either, but keep this in mind, never before have all the major world's economies been run on fiat currency. This experiment is only 50 years old, and it's quickly coming to an end. What happens when it inevitably falls apart? What happens when lives are ruined, life savings are lost, and the streets are filled with hungry people? We don't know. But history provides us with some clues. In times of chaos and economic instability, dangerous political leaders often rise to power. They capture the public's imagination with promises to end the chaos and restore stability. Past economic crisis led to the events such as the rise of Napoleon, the launch of the Bolshevik Revolution, and the consolidation of the German state power in the hands of Adolf Hitler. And these events have grave consequences for the entire world, not just the individual nations involved. Why should this time be any different? So what does the Bible say? The Bible describes just a scenario in the end times. Revelation 6 says an entire day's wages will barely buy enough food to survive. That's verse 5 and 6. This describes a world ravaged by hyperinflation, and it's the backdrop against which the Antichrist makes his drive for global conquest. That's verse 3 and 4. Ultimately, the Antichrist will implement a global economic system which requires the people of the world to worship him. The Bible says he will require everyone on earth to receive a mark, and no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark. It's Revelation 13, 17. We see the beginnings of this system today as paper currencies have given way to digital currencies. Once this transition is complete, government will be able to control all buy and sell transactions just as the Bible foretold. This is one of the many tribulation events casting its shadow on our day and time. Along with the restoration of Israel, Jeremiah 13, and the many signs Jesus and the prophets said to look for, all these events are converging for the first time in history. So what do we do? Jesus said when you see this happen, you can know his return is soon. So rather than hang your head at the trials and sorrows set to come upon the world, lift your eyes to heaven, for he is coming soon. Consider what I just read. We're living in exciting yet troubling, turbulent times. There's no time to put off embracing the higher Christian life, surrendering your all to Jesus Christ, and letting him live large and powerful in you. Because there is no tomorrow. Every day pushes us closer to the precipice, closer to the cliff. And the only thing we can do is prepare our hearts to meet him and be empowered by him and have the kind of faith that moves mountains. I pray this has been an encouragement to you today to motivate you to have that desire and will for more of him. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Until then.